a professor at Olin College, and I study asteroids. I have a pretty cool job, and one of my favorite parts is getting to meet all the interesting people who spend their days exploring space. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of these smart folks and ask them to tell us about their corner of the cosmos. Today's guest is Professor Miriam Tellus, who is a professor at the University of California, Santa Cruz, in beautiful Santa Cruz. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Carrie. We are recording on September 7th, 2022, so we are doing this remotely. I am very excited to drink a matcha green tea oat milk latte from Pop and Bottle. It says it has functional mushrooms, which makes me wonder what all these non-functional mushrooms <laughs> I've been eating have been. I am I am skeptical. I like I like oat milk and I like matcha, but this this can makes me scared. What are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking a delicious almond milk chai latte. It's 10 a.m. here, so, you know, this is a great way to start. Absolutely. <laughs> I like how we're both drinking uh, lattes, mm -hmm. except for yours. Yours sounds better. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to take a sip of yours first? Yes. It's very good. It has a little, little bit of an aftertaste. Yeah, medicinal aftertaste that I don't recommend, but at least the mm. first part of the drink is good. How is your latte? Very good. Very, very good. I have this espresso machine that I bought for like $100, and it makes very good lattes. That sounds like really nice. Foam milk. Yeah, that's the stuff. None of this <laughs> canned mushroom business. <laughs> So now that we are drinking our drinks, we are mm -hmm. going to talk about cosmochemistry and specifically meteorites. So I study asteroids and I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that just because I study asteroids doesn't mean I'm a super expert on meteorites. And this is partially because meteorites are super interesting and you can do a bunch of PhDs on them. And it's tough to be an expert on both. But just to start us all off with, can you remind us what a meteorite is? Yeah, so a meteorite is a rock from space from an, another object, not the Earth, that falls to the Earth. We can get meteorites from the Moon and Mars, but most of them come from asteroids. We might have meteorites maybe from Mercury, but we're not sure. What are the different types of meteorites? Yeah, so meteorites are classified into a lot of different groups, but the main types of meteorites are those that come from asteroids that have undergone global melting. So they have a core and a mantle, just like the Earth. So there are meteorites that come from those, we call them differentiated asteroids. Basically, these meteorites are basaltic, and some of them are iron-rich. So the ones that come from the core are iron-rich, and the ones that come from the mantle or the crust are basaltic. And then we have meteorites, the ones that I study, come from asteroids that have not undergone melting. And these are called chondrites. And they are made up of all the nebular dust particles and material that was in the, the protoplanetary disk, so the disk where planets were forming. Those are called chondrites. Chondrites are some of my favorites. Whenever I tell people why it's cool to study asteroids, I say because they're really old and unchanged, but really I'm talking about meteorites. <laughs> Many people might be surprised to learn that there's a connection between meteorites and the atmospheres of rocky planets that are orbiting other suns, rocky exoplanets. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So since coming to the University of California, Santa Cruz, I've been working really closely with a lot of people who study exoplanets. And as part of this collaboration, we've been looking at meteorites in the lab and using them to understand the atmospheres of planets. And the reason why we can make this connection is because meteorites, so they come from planetesimals, and these planetesimals are the first objects that form when the sun was forming, the first rocky objects. And these rocky objects went into building larger planets like the Earth. And so the material that went into building the planets also went into building the atmosphere of the planet. So the atmospheres of rocky bodies mostly come from outgassing. So as the rocky material is being heated, gases are produced as minerals are like breaking down and releasing water vapor and releasing carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide. And that material goes into forming an atmosphere. So what we're doing with our meteorites in the lab, which are, you know, the chondrites are representing the building blocks of planets. We are taking chondrites and heating them up in the lab and measuring more precisely than before the gas composition that are produced at different temperatures and under different conditions. And so the idea is, is that you're kind of replicating this planet forming process with raw planet materials, and then you get a baby planet atmosphere. Exactly. So we get like the initial composition based on what you started off with. So the bulk planetary building material and heating that up gives us initial composition for the atmosphere. And then that can go into better understanding what the atmosphere started off with and how they change over time. So you've explained that very clearly, but I think most listeners might know that the process of heating them up and measuring is probably very complicated. Can you talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of like how that actually works in the lab? I'm, I'm sure yeah. it takes a lot of effort to figure out the right way to do that super carefully. And oh, precisely. yeah. So most of my background is in isotope analysis of meteorites. So I take the meteorite, put it in a mass spectrometer and I analyze it. But this time, the difference is that we had to analyze the gas instead of the rocky material itself. And that was a new, kind of a new avenue for me. And we did a lot of trial and error, trying to figure out what was the best experimental setup. What we decided on in, for the, our paper that was published in 20, oh, now I don't, 2020, oh gosh, 2021, I'm losing track of time. We take our meteorite samples, maybe about a gram of it, and we powder it. And then we sieve it so that we're analyzing a specific size fraction. Then we take a subset of that and we put it in a little tiny crucible you kind of think of it as like a mortar and pestle, like just a, a little bowl. And then we put that bowl into another bowl we, to make sure that, because it's really tiny. So it's like the size of a, it's smaller than a dime, the bowl that we put our sample in. So then we put that into a bigger bowl that we can actually handle. And then we put that whole setup into a furnace and the furnace heats up to 1200 C wow. Celsius. And then at the same time, the gases are being produced and being measured on a mass spectrometer. The other thing we have to be careful about is like background gases. So background gases and contamination 
those are two big issues. And we deal with that by doing the same procedure, but without the sample that gives us our background. And we subtract the background from the signal from our meteorite. It sounds like work that has to be done very meticulously and very cleanly. <laughs> I'd imagine that this isn't, you know, you're not just in a, any room, you're probably in a pretty clean lab wearing gloves and stuff. Yeah, we're definitely wearing gloves. We're in a clean lab, but it's but it's not like I think a level 1000 clean lab that people use to measure really trace material and meteorites. The main thing would be making sure we don't have a lot of moisture in our sample because we we're measuring water vapor and we don't want to measure terrestrial water vapor. We want to measure extraterrestrial <laughs> water vapor. So so we do a lot of things to kind of avoid measuring terrestrial contamination. Could you talk about what you found in these tiny atmospheres you created? How do they compare to known and maybe unknown exoplanets? Yeah, so our first experiment, we measured meteorites called CM chondrites. And we are interested in these chondrites because they're very, they have lots of volatiles, which just means they have lots of organic rich material and material that will gas when you heat it to relatively low temperatures for planet building process. So when we heat these types of meteorites in the lab, we see mostly water vapor and then lots of CO and CO2 and some hydrogen sulfide. And the other thing we've been looking at is some some other like non-traditional gas species. So we also see zinc in zinc produces gas under these conditions as well. So how does that compare to exoplanets? You know, we're just now starting to get data from rocky exoplanets. Actually, just recently there was news that they measured CO2 in the atmospheres of exoplanet. So we expect that gases will be present in the atmospheres of rocky bodies. I think the thing that we're still trying to figure out is how does that translate into understanding the bulk composition? Because that's what we really want to get at when we're measuring the atmosphere. We want to get at the composition of the atmosphere, but we also want to get, we want to understand what is the planet like based on just what we can measure. So for instance, what is the surface of the planet like, or is it rocky? Is it an ocean world? And yeah, that's something that we're still trying to figure out. So you're taking meteorites that were formed very early in our solar system. When you looked at the atmosphere, why didn't that atmosphere look exactly like Earth or exactly like Venus? Well, that's a good question. So part of it is because outgassing of planets is not just from that early period of time. The formation of atmosphere is something that occurs over the lifetime of a planet. And so there are different processes that are affecting that initial composition. So you have sources and sinks. So you have things that are adding to your atmosphere and you have things that are removing components from your atmosphere. So on the earth, we have, first of all, we have biology. We have like complex right. life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's definitely do doing a lot to the atmospheric composition. But we also have plate tectonics, which brings 
material down to the interior of the planet. Some planets also have photochemical processes that occur at the very top layer of the atmosphere that also affects the composition over time. So yeah, so the reason why what we get from our meteorite experiments don't match what we see today is because what we see today is four and a half billion years of evolution and what we get from our experiments are simulating the first millions of years of what we would expect. So then these experiments are helping to understand the starting point for the, these like evolution models that researchers do to understand exoplanet atmospheres. So for instance, when an uh, astronomer measures a, the atmosphere of an exoplanet, they will try to match that composition to evolution models. And then our experiments should help with better constraining those models. So what sort of investigations are you looking to do next? I'm really excited about, we have a new experimental setup that addresses a lot of the challenges we had with our, our previous one. One of the issues we had with our previous setup was that uh, we had to correct for fragments in the ions. So just imagine we form a water vapor molecule as we're heating. And then that molecule, when it hits the detector, it actually breaks up into, you know, OH or hydrogen. And then the detector measures those two. And so you're thinking you're measuring hydrogen and OH, but no, that's actually part of your original water vapor molecule. So we call those ion fragments. And that was a big issue for our previous experiments. And it added to large uncertainties in the results. So, but we have a new setup which uses gas chromatograph mass spectrometry. So in this setup, we don't have ion fragments. And so we're expecting a lot more precise results. And we also can change the background gas so we can do the measurements and under varying conditions. So we, we're going to look at oxygen as a background gas. And we can also do gas mixtures in the future. So we're getting to the point where we could do these experiments under more and more realistic conditions. And when you talk about background gas, is that like simulating that maybe there's some oxygen in the atmosphere and then you add to it and that stuff reacts with the oxygen? I see this more as simulating the conditions early on in the in the disk. The reason why we want to adjust the background gas is because it allows us to simulate differences in the conditions of the disk for different stars. And that depends on the composition of the disk, which is also related to the composition of the star. So our sun has a specific composition that resulted in the formation of these types of planetesimals, like the meteorites we have in our hands. And other stars have slightly different compositions. Some might have more oxygen and they might be more oxidizing. And so our experiments, when we add oxygen background, can simulate that kind of difference in, so the formation of these building blocks and the formation of these rocky bodies under more oxidizing conditions than what our sun had at the beginning. 
That is super awesome. Your current research is super interesting, but it is like limited to the composition of our sun. So this would really open it up to exploring all types of exoplanets. That's really neat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there one thing you wish people knew about this type of work? Well, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I, 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 I and I'm sure, is that a given? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I really enjoy this work and um, I always told myself as long as I could get paid to continue doing this, I would. And I've managed to do that. The main thing is that there's a lot of trial and error and there's a lot of things that we don't know. We still don't know about meteorites. And I find that pretty fascinating too, because it feels like there's so much to do and and it feels like a playground, like just a lot of things to explore. Would you mind sharing some of these, you know, things we don't know about meteorites? So chondrites are really just en enigmatic. So they have these, these inclusions, these features in them, these components, they're circular. We think they form in the nebula, so before planets, but we don't know exactly how. So they, they require some heating mechanism. We don't fully understand how that worked in the nebula, like what was heating the dust before planets were formed. So that's pretty cool. And we also have like CAIs. So these are calcium aluminum rich inclusions. These are the first rocky material and they give us the age of the solar system. They are found in meteorites and they require formation very close to the sun but we see them in material that we think formed very far away from the sun so they must have been you know thrown out really far away from the sun but we still don't fully understand why and why there are differences in the ages of these some of the different particles that we see in meteorites. The other thing, of course, is that meteorites that we have are kind of out of context. We get them on the earth. We, you know, we find them on the floor, on the ground, and we don't know exactly where they form in the, especially chondrites. So chondrites are really just big question mark. <laughs> we don't know exactly what the original parent body so the planetary object where these came from we don't know what exactly that looked like how was it structured where did this material we have where did it come from did it come from this very surface did it come from deep within the body and the other thing that i really am starting to get really fascinated about is the composition of ice on certain planetesimals. So certain meteorites look like they've been completely altered by water. But of course, the water is not there anymore. And we don't know what the composition of that ice originally was. So you could get water ice, but you can get also if you form out far enough past Jupiter, you can get CO ice, CO2 ice, and all these different things. And we don't really have a good handle on that part of the primitive nebular material, the, the nebular ice that accreted with this material. So anyway, so I, 
I can go on and on, but I'll stop there. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to, but those are all such fundamental questions, right? They're like, how did this planet that we're both on form? These are, you know, really fundamental existence questions, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah. Is there like a dream rock that you wish you could study? If you could have a rock from anywhere in the solar system, what mm. rock would you choose? That's a very good question. Anywhere in the solar system. Okay, that's good that we're it's somewhat constrained. With just, <laughs> sticking with just the solar system. Oh man. I that would be hard to choose, but I'm really putting you on the spot here. <laughs> I, know. I think I would have something rocky. Well, no, it has to be. So my issue is that I need I need both. So I need like icy <laughs> material and rock material. But I think I would have a piece of a Kuiper belt object just because that would be so difficult to get. And I think that material would help us really understand like what most of the solar system was like when it first formed. Because we're really biased now. Our samples are really from the inside. Yeah. That's a great answer. So thank you so much, Professor Tellus, for being on the show. And now that we've heard all about meteorites, we get to hear a fun fact about Miriam. Yes. So I was <laughs> trying to figure out what fact to choose. Hmm. I play bass guitar. How about that? That's really cool. Do you have a <laughs> particular type of music? Is, is it like part of a band or is it just for your own edification? Well, I try to be a part of that. I just don't have enough time. But one day I'm hoping I could be a part of a band. I did play one event for someone's, a friend's birthday party. My family is from Haiti. So we play a lot of Haitian compa, which is um, kind of like Caribbean Latin feel. That sounds super awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And thanks so much for sharing. Thank you for having me, Carrie. I love this show. This is awesome. Thank <laughs> oh, you. thank you so much. <laughs> That's so kind. <laughs> Hey everybody, I have a bonus segment for you today. I wanted to share one of my favorite poems. It's called, Later, People Took on Qualities That Planets Usually Have. And here it is, read by the author, Rebecca Wadlinger. Later, people took on qualities that planets usually have. Eventually, everyone has moons, chunks of Earth swaying like tetherballs around their bodies. Every day, new ones swing out to join the rest. Most are small and pale gray, like well-sucked gumballs. Women turn in front of mirrors to admire themselves in profile. A nervous waiter leans over the table and a moon sends wine cascading into an old lady's lap. Soon people discover when they get too close, they knock moons and send each other spiraling out of orbit. An eager lover clears his moons with one flailing arm. Moons are bouncing off shoes, rolling down gutters, and people are losing them and losing them until only the lonely have moons. They slump over, orbs circling them like vultures, and weep. This poem is part of Rebecca Wadlinger's new book, Terror, Terrible, Terrific, published by Octopus Press. You can ask for it at your local bookstore or get it at octopusbooks.net. The poetry is beautiful and strange and funny, and I just love it. Big thanks to Rebecca for recording that poem so I could share it with you. Have a great day.
I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Intro music is from The Return by Deltron3030. Huge thanks to Deltron3030 for letting me use it. The beeps you just heard are from the very first space probe, Sputnik. You can visit us at listentospacepod.com, and we're at listentospacepod on Twitter. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of my employer or the employer of my guest. Thanks for listening.